Lord, as we, uh, as we come to this end of our sermon series on the game of life, we pray that you would enter into it, that you would speak to us as we look at this issue of health, and that, Lord, you would break through the things that bind our thinking, and you would lead us to the truth who is a person, and that is Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, fill my words and fill your word. Lead us to Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Sorry about that. I, I apologize back there, sound booth. I, uh, I forgot there was that little thing at the end. Uh, I think it says the one who wins with the most, the one who ends with the most stuff wins. Is that right? Yeah. So you've heard it enough weeks now that you're, you're, you're used to that ending. Now, I've been thinking about this issue of health, and if you are like my wife Catherine and me, I bet that you go to the grocery store an awful lot. Um, we do. We go at least once a week. We try to do that big shopping in one fell swoop, but it seems like we're popping in and out of grocery stores all the time, like a little something here. Or we like something from that place over there. Or we're on the run, and we're just going to dash in and get that last thing that we forgot. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Okay, that's a pretty common experience, and of course, a couple weeks ago with the hurricane, I mean, I felt like I was in the grocery store every day, and sometimes multiple times a day, because, you know, what if it hits, and what if it doesn't hit, and we need this, and we need that, and it was a bit maddening. Now, there's something about grocery stores, at least the mainstream grocery stores that I've noticed, and I suspect you've seen it too, it's those last few feet of potential consumerism. I'm, I'm talking about when you're in queue, right? You're in the line waiting to pay, and you've piled your stuff on the conveyor belt, and you're waiting because the person in front of you has got their mound of stuff that's got to be scanned and checked and paid for. You're literally forced, probably against your will, at least I feel like my will sometimes, as you're waiting there to look at what? The magazines... Right? that are all over the shelf in front of you and all the other stuff that's around them. I was in the grocery store just the other day and I, I was noticing the covers of these things. Yeah, I know there's also that gossipy, trashy stuff, right? I know that's a secret love for a few. But I'm looking at the pictures. I try to generally look away, but I knew what I was preaching on. So I was looking at the pictures and what is it that we are all confronted with in those last few feet as we're dealing with that moment of consumerism about to check out? It's these impossibly perfect bodies. Now, we all know they're airbrushed. You know that, right? Because there's no gray and there's no lines and there's no sagging on anybody. Right? There's nothing that looks imperfect, but you see these taut, strong bodies. The women are buxom, and they've got perfect hair. The men have dazzling smiles and a six-pack of abs. And I think, I think it's what our culture defines as beautiful, as strong, and as healthy. And it confronts us right there as we're standing in line. Now, the problem, of course, is, is you stand there looking at these perfect people with their perfect health and their perfect bodies, is that just to the side of those are like mounds of chocolate. <laughs> right? There's mounds of chocolate, like you're surrounded by chocolate. It's behind you and it's in front of you. There's candy, there's sugary drinks and caffeine-laced drinks in the cooler right there. Right? There's mini donuts and snack-sized cookies and bags of artificially flavored chips of some variety or another. 
And then next to all that, there's the healthy eating, dieting books. How to lose 10 more pounds in four easy steps. How to get that perfect bikini body at age 40, 50, 60, whatever. You know, it's this, it is just ludicrous. And of course, those magazines about healthy eating are next to that cookbook that's there with the delicate, delicious, like chocolate oozy thing on the cover, right? It, it's maddening. It's dizzying. I love something that the author Mark Buchanan says. He says, we're a culture stuck between Barbie and the bulge. Right? We dream thin and we live fat. We spin this way and that way, back and forth, round and round. And I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of a lot of people I've walked with over the years, sort of these three positions that we fall into. Maybe it's an oversimplification, but for our purpose this morning, it it will be helpful when it comes to our health. These sort of three areas uh, that that we tend toward. Uh, sometimes naturally, sometimes uh, by training. Two of them are extremes, right? So think poles out on the outsides. Uh, and then there's a middle space that we'll call health. Health in the middle, polar areas of unhealth on the outside. Um, Pastor Rick Warren calls these areas neglect on the one side, perfect on the other, or perfect, and then respect in the middle. So we've got neglect on one side, perfect on the other. And you typically will tend to have what the Bible calls a flesh pattern or a flesh type, uh, a tendency in which you operate and you function in your natural self, in your fallen state, where you'll kind of usually find your way toward a pole of one side or the other. And so you might tend to ignore your health and eat in excess regularly. Uh, That's this area of neglect, right, where we're driven by our tastes, driven by food, driven by delicacies. That's what we heard happening there in that lesson in Genesis 25 with Esau, right? Esau ends up giving up his birthright for a quick bowl of stew. He ends up forsaking so much of what could have been his in the future for an immediate gratification to meet his natural hunger, And so you might have an unhealthy diet. You might be undisciplined. Um, You might not get enough rest or enough sleep for your body to function properly. Uh, You might, well, you might end up having to boost your energy constantly through carbs and caffeine and through sugary kind of treats. This is kind of a passive form of health. When it comes to health, it's a leaning toward what the book of Proverbs calls the sluggard. And I've got to confess, just because it's important when we're talking about issues of health and we're talking about bodies in a culture where shame is predominant, for me personally, this is the way I would tend toward. See, we've got to break down this stuff within the church and recognize this is stuff everybody deals with in one form or another. And so neglect would be the area my flesh pattern would tend toward. I tend to be a little more passive. I tend to eat a little too much. I tend to forget, oh, I'm full now, and I keep going and going and going. And I recognize it over time in certain areas of my body, or I just don't feel good. Okay, so that's neglect. The other pole, the other extreme that some find their way into is this area of perfect or perfect. That's that drivenness to some sort of 
ideal, right? Another flesh type, another tendency of the self, a hyper-focus on the body, a hyper-focus on health, constantly focused on weight or appearance, consumed by body image, relentlessly driven. And of course, women are just about, I mean, the culture smashes you with this one, smashes you with this one. Relentlessly driven by image, the desire for perfection or beauty. It then involves lots of dieting, lots of failures along the way, lots of shame, lots of body shame that goes along with it. It's ironic, isn't it? Moving toward perfection lends itself to shame, lends itself to feeling terrible about yourself because, of course, we never quite get there. There's always more. There's seasons in which your body is doing what its God-given design does, and it's just not going to cooperate with your diet. It's just not going to cooperate with fitting into some certain kind of image. This is what Timothy's talking about, right? We can become so focused, so driven, so oriented. Timothy says bodily training is good. It has some merit, but we have to be careful because it isn't an ultimate thing. It isn't an ultimate. So you could be an anorexic on the one hand, or you could be a bodybuilder. And, and either one who would look completely different to our eyes could still be focused on perfection and enslaved to this cycle of trying to find some kind of health, some kind of image. I mean, think about the guy or the gal in the gym, if you've ever been to the gym, and, and you know, it's the, the, the man, we'll just pick on the guys for a minute, and, you know, he's just, oh, oh, oh. and he's not, he's not really doing anything except looking at himself in the mirror as he does that. And this relentless drivenness is almost a form of narcissism. In fact, the Greeks had uh, a myth about Narcissus who fell so in love with himself as he's looking into his reflection in the pool that he ends up drowning. And that's what can happen in this relentless drive for perfection. It, It has a way of drowning us. Neglect can do that also in a completely opposite way. And so you've got these extremes Do either of those sound familiar to any of you? You don't have to rat out your husband or wife here, by the way. You want to be listening for yourself, not pointing to the person next to you and giving them the elbow. Hey, you need to pay attention to this. Usually if you're throwing an elbow, that means the Spirit's trying to throw an elbow to you. And you should pay attention. (laughs) And so we want to find that middle ground, that place that's neither perfect or neglect, but is that place of respect, that place in which we respect what God has given us. And God wants us to respect our bodies, not to, not to idolize them, but to respect our bodies and to care about our health. And, and why? Well, think about the scriptures. I, I think about one of the most beautiful psalms, and, and parents and young people, this is and really anybody, I really strongly encourage you to, to lead your children or young people, uh, get this one in you, uh, Psalm 139. might go back and look at it later because it talks about the way we're created by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and I just want to say right now for, for all the young women in the room particularly, you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. God absolutely is crazy about you. He made you and he delights in you. It's so important to hear that. And that probably isn't said from the front of platforms or pulpits enough. 
Um, and I hope, parents, you're, you're also coming alongside and helping them to hear that. Um, you're fearfully and you are wonderfully made. You are beautiful the way God has made you to be. God, in that psalm, sees us as we're being knit in our mother's womb. So before any of the world's images put upon us, before any of the world's judgments are put upon us, God says that he sees us and he's pleased. He forms us in our mother's wombs. He sees us in that place. He knows you through and through. And, and he's not displeased. There's no judgment there. God created you. And God doesn't make junk. I mean, that's just, just valuable to know. If we're going to respect our bodies, we begin with the place of our creation in the image of God, made by God, desired by God, loved by God. Why? Because you're his, because you belong to him. So, so respect begins out of that place of the recognition that I'm created by God. But for us who are Christians, it finds its real cementing in the fact that not only are we made by God, but we've been paid for by Jesus. He has purchased us at a great price. He gave over his own body in order to rescue not just our souls and spirits forever, but in order to rescue and redeem our bodies along the way as well. Your body's important. In fact, we're told in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to get new bodies, right? So they're valuable now, but they're not ultimate on this side of the restoration of all things. They'll be restored one day. And that's good news if you, like me, have ever experienced your body not doing what you would hope that it would do. You're going to get a new body. It's going to be remarkable. It's going to be remarkable. For a Christ follower, right, if we've yielded our lives and we've yielded our futures and we've yielded our hopes and we've yielded our plans and, yes, even our bodies to Jesus, we, we live from a place of recognition that I'm not my own. I'm just not my own anymore. I'm not. I've been bought at a price. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You've been bought at a price. You've been made by God. You've been paid for by Jesus. So the good news about that, there's so much good news, is that, that in the payment that he's made, it's what the Bible calls redemption, in the redeeming, he's paid a price for us. It means that in the payment of that price, he also then has the power to rescue us from our tendencies, one or the other. Our tendency to either move into perfection or to move into neglect. If we neglect our health, well, we can desire him to allow our health to move back towards respect and healing. If we've idolized our health, or if we've gone into a perfection, well, we can be brought back to that place because of Jesus' great price. These polarities of our flesh types, of our flesh pattern, when you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And what that means is that those tendencies, yes, they're still functioning. You still have flesh. The book of Romans talks about this in depth. But your flesh is not ultimately the deepest reality of who you are. The new creation in Christ is what's most real and what is most true about you. And, and part of maturing in Christ is moving out of these elementary understandings of who we are as people and recognizing that there is genuine real power because of Christ's blood, because of what he has done for us. So God made you, God paid for you, not just to go to heaven, but where? Here, 
we sang it in the song. We'll say it in the prayer in just a little while. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we do this every week before we come to communion. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, in me, in my life, in my circumstances, yes, even in my body. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to have access to us. God created you, Jesus paid for you, and why? So the Holy Spirit can live in you. So the Holy Spirit can live in you. 1 Corinthians, again, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? And he goes on to say, so glorify God in your body. So we don't want to neglect this temple, which is the Holy Spirit's uh, operating system, if you will, and we don't want to destroy this temple, and we don't want to profane this temple, but we don't want to worship the temple either. Those are the poles. Neglect. Perfect, profane, or worship. We want to recognize that it is the environment in which the Holy Spirit lives. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is one in which you are continually asking God, will help me then to take care of that which you've given me. Help me then to be set free from these cultural norms and binders so that I might live free to fulfill your life and your purposes and what you have for me in this world. And so a couple of things that might be helpful. If you tend toward neglect, overeating, overindulgence, you're kind of run by your appetites, then I strongly suggest that you you explore and learn the discipline of fasting. And Jonathan or I or any of the pastors would love to talk with you about this. I'll do it with you. I used to hate fasting. Why? Because I'm a neglector. And I'm often run by my flesh and run by my passions and run by my appetites. And so to move into fasting is actually to move in an opposite direction from my natural tendencies. Not, well, in order that God might meet me in it and might set me free from the things that are controlling And so if that's you or some of that neglect is ringing a bell today, that's a practical spiritual discipline that you could take up. I've got books on it. Jonathan does too. And we would love to walk with you in that. I bet your life group would do that with you. My life group, which meets on, uh, as a men's group, meets on Thursday nights. Um, Our guys had never fasted before. So as a life group, we said, well, let's try it. We studied it a little bit. We discerned. We taught a little. But then we did it. We do so much talking about the spiritual life and so little doing of the spiritual life in the church. And so we did it as a group. And it was a powerful experience, especially for the guys who'd never done it before. And so if if you find yourself there, that might be a very tangible, practical, actual, spiritual practice you can do that will help you in freedom uh, with regard to neglect. Now, if you tend toward perfect, you may just need to learn to rest and to, to recognize the drivenness and begin to ask God for an eternal perspective. Our physical labors, our physical discipline, our physical works have some merit, but Paul says to Timothy, right, the value is good, but godliness is of a greater value in every way. I often think that, that 
for the person who struggles with perfect and maybe is struggling with food issues and that sort of thing, especially in the area if you're a withholder of food or you're beating your body, is you might just need to learn about Sabbath. How do you rest? How do you feast? How do you actually enjoy a meal? And that may require people around you with whom you're being honest and open and vulnerable because, you know, that stuff is really insidious. The stuff that drives us and that controls our thinking in these areas. You need to recognize Jesus' words, I am the bread of life. Well, Jesus, what does that look like? How do I do it? Both of those positions, I think, require a willingness to return to God's perspective. And that's really what repenting is. We make it this uptight religious thing. I've got to go through some motions. It's really just beginning to recognize, Lord, I have an, an issue in this area of my life, and I need to bring myself back to your perspective. How do you see this? What do you want to show me in this? And then building the space and the time, building the space and the time to give God our focus so that he might show us the things that we wouldn't have come up with on our own. Right? The things that the world wouldn't have come up on with on its own. How to get free. How to live free. So as you, as you set out toward health, the, the thing I need to say, either extreme, it will fall apart if you base it all on willpower. Willpower never works. That's why you probably don't even remember whatever New Year's resolution you made this past year. You did it for, what, four weeks and then it fell apart. It didn't work because usually that's set out in willpower alone. Willpower always fails. Raising your commitment level always fails. Having good intentions generally will fail if we don't have God's power. We've got to have God's power. I think of willpower kind of like when we go, I'll go surfing in, in hurricane surf, which I love, frankly. A lot of people don't like hurricanes. I like the ones like this one that's coming that's going to bend out to sea because we get big surf and it's hard to paddle in. And so when you're paddling in big surf, your arms will wear out if you do it in your own strength. Doesn't matter how strong you are, doesn't matter how good of a surfer you are, your arms are going to wear out eventually because of the relentless pounding of the waves coming your way. You have to learn to get in a rip current and allow the power of the ocean to take you out contrary to the power that's coming at you. That's a really good picture of the way willpower and the spirit work. Willpower will leave you exhausted eventually. It will eventually give out unless you find your place in learning how to receive the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, which is real and not just words in a book. And then he gives you what you need in order to overcome the flesh patterns that so easily take you out and cause you all that shame and that misery. Only those who rely on God's resurrection power, day by day, moment by moment, those are the ones who see real and lasting change. And let me say this last thing before I conclude. One of the beautiful things about the gospel and about the reality of a risen Savior is this, is that if we found ourselves into this area of neglect, this area of perfect, not only does he desire to give us forgiveness, mercy, cleansing, healing, all that we need, but that last part, healing, is possible. Jesus healed, and Jesus still heals. So we ask him for healing power. We gather around us people who have faith 
that they might lay hands upon us and pray for healing. Does that mean he heals us every single time? No, I don't understand when he does it. Here's what I know. When I don't pray, nobody gets healed. When I do pray, sometimes people get healed. You see how that works? Neglect the power of prayer, nothing happens. But if you engage the power of prayer, if you engage the Lord, asking his presence, seeking his face, believing his goodness, knowing he's alive, inviting him in, well, then healing often happens. Where do you find yourself this morning? The place the Lord would invite us is to that place in the middle where we respect and we live from his life and his goodness. He is for you. He is for you. It is important that your body functions in health. Why? Because he has a plan and a purpose for your lives. Things for you to do, to carry out in your life, in your career, in his kingdom, in the life of your family. Lord, this morning, we thank you. I pray, Lord, if there is shame swirling around in anybody's heart or mind, you would deliver, in Jesus' name, from all that junk. Lord, there's so much pain around the areas of our health. So much pain when when it hasn't gone the way we've wanted, uh, when it's fallen apart, when, Lord, we're not feeling well. Would you enter in, Jesus? Would you enter in with freedom? Would you enter in with healing? And Lord, in those places where we end up tempted to worship these bodies, because maybe they do function really well, Lord, would you deliver us from that? Places where we've become enslaved to an image, would you deliver us from that? Jesus, that we might be whole, not just in our spirits, but also in our bodies. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.